0: All right. By now guys, you know, I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term and I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. with conrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years and during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this, we are not the bank. We don't say no, we say not yet, but here's how. We're gonna get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash, and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if, Someday we could put a pool in the back, or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. Save with Conrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're gonna show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know you can do better. With a mortgage though, you may not know this, the interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you can get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year, and right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments, buddy, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or, hey, man, shoot me an email directly, conrad at savewithconrad.com.
1: February 5th marks the 35th anniversary of one of the most memorable angles in wrestling history. An angle that had Hulk Hogan seeing double. There's two of them! Yes, the famous twin referee angle with brothers Earl and Dave Heppner that took place on the inaugural episode of Main Event with Andre the Giant pinning WWF champion Hulk Hogan. It would also mark Earl Heppner's WWF debut on February 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 35 years to the day, Ad Free Shows members will get the opportunity to watch back this historic moment live alongside Earl Heppner in our latest premium watch along event. All $29 level members and higher are invited, and Top Guy members will get to come up and ask Earl questions. Reserve your seat by signing up today at adfreeshows.com. <laughs> Welcome to, something, something, to, to something to wrestle with, Bruce Richard. Bruce well, you know.
0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you are listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Richard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Got yeah, to know something to wrestle with, goddamn, pal.
1: What you want to wrestle with today, boy? I got something for you to wrestle with. I have been up. I have worked out. I have bathed. I have eaten a nutritious breakfast of egg whites, turkey, and spinach. And by God, I'm ready to go.
0: Man, I like when you're in a good mood. This is a good Bruce today. I'm pumped. i dressed
1: everything. Yeah, yeah, you're giving me shit. Oh, hey, Bruce dressed this morning. I dress every morning.
0: I know that, but sometimes, to to work, man. sometimes we record on the weekends and you've uh, just flown in and landed at three in the morning and it's seven when we're recording and you're a little disheveled. And this morning, boy, you're rip roaring, ready to go. You're office ready today. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. As I get done here. i go to my day job. There you go. Well, Hey man, uh, shout out to you. You guys did a fantastic job with the Royal rumble. I had a chance to watch it and, uh, thought it was a fantastic pay-per-view. One of the best pay-per-views in a long time. and. People are loving some of the storylines you guys are doing. And I know we don't talk about current stuff, but high five on the success of the Royal Rumble, a critical success, but a huge financial success. We all saw Triple H's tweet, just all kinds of new Rumble records. So, Hey man, kudos to you and the rest of the WWE crew. Business is a booming over there. These
1: You're days. a Rumble record.
0: Well, I, we're going to talk about a little Rumble record. How about the very first one? That's our topic today. The, the Royal Rumble Royal or the Royal Rumble? either way. Okay. 1989. Uh of course we're coming off the heels of the very first Survivor Series 1998. We covered that back in the archives. Something to wrestle number 129 if you would like to go hear that one. Of course that pay-per-view extravaganza was created essentially to compete with Starcade. And uh, now here we are in January and we're still in a battle with Jim Crockett Promotions. They're running in your backyard. A little bunkhouse stampede action. And, uh, well, we're going to come up with a, a special idea, the Royal Rumble. Or you called it the Rumble Royal. Rumble Royal for a few weeks, by God. So talk me through that.
1: Well, we didn't know what to call it. <laughs> Pat was trying to describe it. You got the legal running and it's like a it's like a what the fuck am i trying to say a battle royale at a pace and check case and they get the, the mean you run in and you, and, you fuck you, and you get them out and shit but you know we're trying to think of a name okay we're not gonna call it battle royale not gonna call it legal running battle royale what do you, it needs a name and uh since we were doing it in the uh province of hamilton ontario That uh, somehow we came up with the Rumble Royal to make it special, to make it grand, to make it feel like it was royalty, to make it feel that this was larger than life itself. And that just didn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. But we did the first few like announcements and the first few updates uh, there with Gene Mean uh, talking about the Rumble, the Rumble Royal coming to you on USA Network right here, folks. And then it kind of morphed into the Royal rumble because the Royal rumble was a little more prestigious, had a, had a flow to it a little bit better than the rumble.
0: So, um, I know we're going to talk a lot about the creation of the concept, but I mean, just, uh, I mean, we, we all know that Pat Patterson gets credit with the idea and you've told us before that Howard Finkel actually came up with the WrestleMania name. Do you know who deserves the credit for Royal rumble? Well, I think pretty much
1: all of us kind of did. It was a discussion about, you know, doing this special on USA. And at the time, I was the cable guy. I did all the uh, cable shows and I did all the international shows. Joel Watts left in December. So now I'm inheriting everything. Um, I don't know. God, I remember hearing the concept definitely remember hearing the concept. I definitely remember, you know, Pat had pitched, you know, when Pat would have something in his head, Pat would pitch everybody. If you were, if you were just going down with him in the elevator and it's like, um, he would say, what do you think about this? You have, you have two guys that start. And then every two minutes you send another guy in and then the match is the last one that stays. Sorry, I was just delivering the mail. Right. You know, Pat didn't care. He would he would pitch everybody uh, these ideas. And so we had been trying to, look, the concept sounded great. It was the execution. It was the sell. How do you, man, what is it? How do you sell it? And let's figure that out. Vince hated it pitched it to Dick Ebersole when we were talking about this special and Dick loved it. You know, Ebersaw was like, Oh my God, this is, uh, it's amazing.
0: It's right. a legal
1: run in, right? And you know, the legal run in thing came a, a deal. So we had actually done it maybe in, uh, Providence or St. Louis or something like that. I know we did a couple of them in live events, but they didn't go, they didn't do that well. They were, uh, you know, the agents didn't understand how to do it. The boys didn't understand how to work it. And plus the cell, the audience didn't know what the hell they were getting. So it was a a lot of work in progress. But to answer your question, I don't remember specifically who came up with it, other than we were looking at a a royal event and this this grandiose thing to uh, put on USA Network at the time.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit before we talk about the actual event itself. Let's just pick up where we left off way back when, when we talked about survivor series 88 on the heels of that show, you had a Saturday night's main event a couple of, a couple of days later, and it's built around Hulk Hogan's appearance on the brother love show. And basically he beats the shit out of you. Uh, what do you remember? That was
1: obviously (laughs) Photoshop.
0: Can you sort of put in perspective? I mean, I know these days people look at Hulk Hogan differently. A lot of people think about him in the NWO run or all the stuff he's done outside of wrestling in years since WCW or maybe some of the maybe regrettable TNA stuff, but this is another animal here. Hulk Hogan in late 88, uh, you're a a pretty hot heel character in the brother love, uh, figure at the time. What was it like, you know, being, able to share a ring with him and do a program with him. How rabid were the fans for all things, Hulk Hogan here in late 88. I'd have
1: to say this was probably Hulk's hottest
0: time. And when
1: you think about, Oh, my phone just beeped. I have to turn it off. Um, unless it's somebody important, about, it, you know, unless it's somebody important. Uh, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> <a>
1: it. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I'll turn this. See, I'm turning it off right now. How about that? But Hogan, man, Hogan was the man. Hogan was Hogan was like being in the ring with Hulk Hogan is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my entire professional career. It was electricity. It was you felt the arena shake. It was insane. The just the level of participation from the audience that loved him, man. That music hit and the roar, it, it was like being at the beach in the way and just that roar of Hulk coming out. And then when he got in the ring with you, man, and he did that one look and the music came down and it was just, for me, I was, God, at this time, was I 25, right? 25, Um, It was amazing. Absolutely. um, Absolutely amazing. I never felt anything like it. And it was the the type of reaction that people only dream of. And here I am in the ring with him and getting to experience it. I actually had the opportunity to talk to him. And I would like to, I don't like to talk about current stuff. I will not talk about current stuff um, but wh- whatever report that Hulk Hogan's paralyzed from the waist down, couldn't have been a stupider comment. Sorry, I'm going to say it, but that was a stupid comment, especially, you know, Hulk is not paralyzed from the waist down.
0: Um, no, we saw him walk out on TV. So yeah, uh, yeah,
1: that's so, kind of how that works. Well, good Lord, man, the way rumors and things are reported, it's absolutely silly, just downright silly sometimes. But. Then he sure as hell wasn't paralyzed, and it was, to be on the same card with Hulk was amazing. You wanted to stay, and you wanted to hear that audience reaction whenever he came out, but to be in the ring with him and to get to work with him, nothing like it. Nothing like it, because it was, you you knew
0: at that point you couldn't get any higher in the business. So we saw in the the still photo there as he's putting the beat down on you, uh, and hopefully you're checking this out over on YouTube.
1: But uh, really, that I was me slamming him, and you guys inverted
0: it. But go ahead, go ahead with your fake news. Is this one of the first times you've taken a bump in a WWE ring? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That was it. Right there, Vince didn't want anybody to touch me. It was like, no, we're, you know, we're saving that for Hulk, and and no one, no one could touch me. No one could grab me. No one could. T- I was off limits. Hulk was going to get that first one, and he did.
0: Does he? Uh, does he say, "Okay, brother, here's how you take a, a Hulkster body slam"? Or I mean, I have
1: took body slams for ever since I was whatever sixteen or so.
0: Oh, okay. Tom, I mean, I take bumps. Tom just yeah. wearing you out. Yeah. So, listen. On the heels of Survivor Series '88, we also see a little talent exchange of sorts. People are moving back and forth. Uh, Ronnie Garvin is going to come into the company right after survivor series 88. And of course, most people remember he was the main event with the world title belt that you see there. Uh, if you're watching over on YouTube, uh, at survivor series, or I'm sorry, Starcade 87. So one year later, just a year removed from that main event of sort of Jim Crockett promotions version of WrestleMania, Starrcade, he's switching jerseys, man. He's coming to you guys. Does, does Ronnie call you guys up or is Vince still trying to acquire some of that talent from down there?
1: Uh, Ronnie and Pat Patterson go way back. They've been friends from Montreal. And, um, I think Ronnie was just talking about making a move, making change. He was unhappy with Crockett. So he was looking to do something different.
0: What did, um, what, what was it a hire just as a favor for, uh, Pat or did, did Vince see something in Ronnie? Hmm. I think,
1: you know, he had to have seen something in him and looked at him as a completely different type of attraction. You know, Ronnie was not your flashy, over-the-top performer. Uh, Ronnie was a straight wrestler and just one of those guys that, you know, there was no BS around Ronnie. And when you talk about tough, uh, he's he's up there. And (laughs) he's up there in that list of really tough guys inside and outside of the ring but I don't know that he was the most charismatic guy in the world.
0: Well, yeah, I, I'm not trying to be, uh, to disparage, you know, his contributions to wrestling. I am just saying the WWF presentation at times could be a little over the top. So you had these larger than life characters, like a Coco beware or a Jake, the snake or the bushwhackers or what have you. And then we bring Ronnie Garvin in and he's not really saddled with one of these personas or gimmicks, if you will, he was the hands of stone. It's just fascinating to me that a guy like terry taylor comes in and he becomes the chicken man and then ron garvin comes in so
1: but ron garvin was ron garvin and that was gimmick in of self what would you have had terry taylor do Ric Flair ripoff okay afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls how to refine your mental models and how to think about
0: maybe because he didn't want to deal with the backlash. Maybe he had just had enough of corporate wrestling already, whatever you want to call it, he's out of there and it's going to take a, a a break or a few months for the final break to actually happen. And we know that eventually dusty is going to land in the WWF, but he's going to go try his own thing down in Florida for a little bit. But when you hear the news that dusty is looking to leave Jim Crockett promotions, Were you excited about the idea of having him in the company, much like Roddy Garvin was making a jump? Hmm, Not
1: particularly. Um, I think that at the time, you know, especially when you're looking at the time, I only dusty and Jim Crockett would know what reasons there were for dusty to leave and for dusty and, or for dusty to be asked to leave, um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I heard Dusty's side of the story. I heard the other side of the story. There, there are always two sides and different versions to things. So, Dusty wanted to go off, and Dusty wanted to basically open up Florida's Championship Wrestling again. So, he wanted to go back to Florida, have his own promotion, and be in Florida, and do his own thing. Um, more power to him. I think that, at the same time, Dusty realized it was a lot harder than it sounded, especially in the day and age when the national companies were the stronghold in the major markets, Uh, the the South and Florida included in that. So um, it wasn't that I didn't want dusty, but it was like, okay, you know, uh, who knows what this is actually really going to bring.
0: So you can hear more about the, uh, the whole dusty stuff in the archives. As a matter of fact, it was our very first episode um, Let's talk about Super Clash though. AWA is going to put together Super Clash three. It's going to happen on pay per view with Jerry Lawler taking on Kerry Von Erich. And Starcade '88 is also going to happen on pay per view as well. Is this are these shows on you guys' radar at all? Uh, you've told us before that occasionally Howard Finkel would have people over to the house and cook steak burgers, and you guys would watch competitor pay per views. Do you remember watching either one of those shows with WWE personnel and just sort of scouting what everybody else was doing?
1: I'm almost positive. I watched, um, that, uh, Lawler carry thing. I thought that was abominable with the, all the blood and everything. Yeah. It was to me, that was a sad state of affairs for Kerry and for Lawler. I didn't think that either one put their foot best foot forward in that regard. regards, they had a lot of talent on that show, but it went nowhere. Right. Um, if you go back and watch it, you're scratching your head going, who booked this and why? Right. And it was a great example of why Vince was able to promote the way that he did and to really have the success he did, because the chances of promoters and bookers from other places working together, just they couldn't do it. Their, their egos wouldn't let them do it. So you had, you know, World Class, you had Memphis, you had AWA, a little bit of Crockett. You had all this stuff in this one show, and and everybody wanted to protect their guy or girl. And it it was a hodgepodge, and it was just, it was a horrible, horrible show. Because nobody nobody wanted to put anybody over, and everybody was trying to protect themselves. And the, the promoters all blamed each other for the lack of success. So yeah, I, I definitely watched that. I remember the I remember carrying the claw and bleeding all over Lawler and thinking, good God. Then, you know, thinking, man, just that was a little too much.
0: Do you um Clearly we're talking about interpromotional matches and why you think they don't work? Do you think they could work now, these days in twenty twenty three?
1: No. Same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. You have a company and you're building your company and you're building your company. Your talent is your asset. Your talent is that's the commodity that you are selling to the public. So you want to protect that. You want to build that up. And when you are to work with your competitor in that regard, it becomes a very delicate, fine line and a tight rope that you have to walk because you want your guy to look good. Right. And they want they want their guy to look good. Um, it's difficult. That's why all those Super Bowl of Wrestling, you know, Superstar Billy Graham and uh, Harley Race and Bockwinkle and, you know, Superstar, whoever the hell. But there, there were a few of them over the years that, okay, they drew a house once, but they were all our Broadway's of draws or some kind of bullshit in the middle of it. They weren't
0: good. Starcade 88 is headlined by Ric Flair and Lex Luger for the, uh, the NWA world title. I'm curious back in late 88, did Vince see anything in Lex Luger? I mean, just physically, it feels like this would have been Vince's sort of guy. What do you remember his opinion about Lex Luger being here in late 88?
1: Um, I don't, I don't think that there was anything. Oh my God, I've got to have Lex Luger. Right. Uh, Luger definitely had the look definitely had the charisma, but I don't think that there was anything, there was no overtures made at that time. And nobody was saying, ah, anybody know Lex, we got to get Lex. We need to talk to Lex. I know. We're interested. There was none of that. Not, not to my knowledge at that time.
0: And to be clear, it sounds as if, if I was trying to sort of figure out where you would fit Lex Luger in. On the heel side of things, you're really looking for a monster factory for Hulk Hogan. You don't really need a quote-unquote second Hulk Hogan who isn't quite Hulk Hogan, right? So, if he was a oh, monster heel, Lex maybe never,
1: ever, even in the Hogan in conversation the same ballpark as Hulk
0: Hogan, right? But again, I think was Lex not a heel at the time? No, he was a babyface against uh, okay. a, a heel, Ric Flair. Okay. That's that's my point is to bring him in what would you do with him like if if you're not going to be if you're not going to try to make him your next hulk hogan because you have the real hulk hogan what is there to do not much well i'll tell you what there uh, is something to do uh if you want to look like lex luger or hulk hogan i'm talking about titan nutrition yeah. fellas this is one product you're going to be thanking us for once you try it the product is called test launch and true to its name It'll take your body's natural testosterone production and shoot it sky high. How does it work? Well, this isn't one of those single ingredient infomercials you hear about on TV test launch was created with the extreme needs of a bodybuilder who want to maximize size, strength, and recovery. But the great news is any man who wants to experience these benefits can take this product. To meet these needs, Titan Nutrition formulated a product with five of the most proven testosterone boosting ingredients available in the market today. All of the ingredients are fully dosed and plainly disclosed on the label so you know exactly what you're taking and trust us, you'll know it's working. Remember working out and waking up with little to no soreness? Remember having the drive to push for those extra reps in the gym? Feeling like you could go a few extra rounds in the bedroom? Well, Test Launch will have you feeling like you're 18 again. Experience the drive of elevated testosterone levels and save 10% off Test Launch by going to titannutrition.net and using the code Wrestle at checkout. Again, you'll get 10% off and free shipping on Test Launch when you go to titannutrition.net and use the promo code Wrestle at checkout. You'll be glad you did. So, but you got to remember to use that promo code Wrestle. Oh, absolutely! You got to use wrestle at titannutrition.net. Get that hookup, baby.
1: You know what? When, when when we're doing you know ads like that and everything, uh, uh, Dave Silva sends something into my headset that just sounds like uh, sounds like Kamala and Andre the Giant having a conversation in my ear. But I'm rocking bust on Dave Silva uh,
0: today because he's just well incompetent. Go ahead. S- sounded sounded good to me and yeah uh,
1: well that's because you're there
0: i'm there we're not the same yeah he's right behind you oh he's he's back there yes so let's talk about the women's division uh we're going to reactivate the women's division in uh, 1987 uh, a few months after you get there uh did you have any input on the women's division and and whether it was alive or dormant or what have you i mean it's a it's interesting. We see Rock and Robin come in in '87 as well. She's the real life sister of Sam Houston and Jake Roberts. Uh, I guess she's the sister in law then of Baby Doll. Um, what do you remember about Robin coming in and and just this women's division here in uh, '87? Wow. Uh,
1: well, originally the whole, the idea was was to build it around Sherry. Okay. And Sensation Sherry had come in. We had our Mula versus Sherry match where Mula anointed Sherry and dropped the championship to Sherry. Um, but then we needed, you know, who was that babyface? face? You know, certainly wasn't going to be Mula, And Sherry, as much as we thought, well, maybe she could be a baby face. Sherry was not a babyface. face. Um, one of the greatest performers. And I mean, all round performers ever in the business, Sherry Martell, um, she just wasn't a good baby face, man. She, she had that disdain for people that (laughs) came through and, um, gone way too soon, but yeah, you know, Sherry came in, beat Moolah, and then we were looking for who is that, that we can program Sherry with and looking at some of the women talent that were available. And it was just slim pickings. There wasn't a whole lot of talent out there. Uh, Robin was someone, she was still pretty green, but she had worked a little bit. Um, let's Let's give this a try. Let's try it with somebody new and have an issue, have a program with Sherry and Robin, and then take it from there.
0: Well, it worked out. Um, I'm curious though, are Sam Houston and Jake Roberts part of the decision? I mean, they're both with your, your company here. Are they part of the, the reason that you're going to bring Robin in or, or how does that come to be?
1: No, uh, you know, not to me. I think more than anybody was grizzly. Okay. Who had mentioned, you know, Hey, uh, Robin, here's talent and she's a fiery baby face. And maybe she could work in this situation.
0: Uh as a reminder, the women's title in the WWF throughout the eighties, at least on TV and pay-per-view, was spotty at best. After Wendy Richter wins the title from Fabulous Moolah in uh, 85, Moolah wins it back as the spider lady a few months later. I guess that was the original quote unquote screw job, was it not? For the WWF, That depends on who you talk to. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I think that uh, you know Bruno will tell you he got screwed by Koloff. Uh, Dory Funk will tell you he got screwed by Harley. There's a lot of them that, you know, probably have that claim. If you will.
0: Velvet McIntyre wins the belt from Mula in July of 86. Only has it a few days before Mula wins it back. And then in July of 87, uh, at a house show in Houston, Mula drops it to sensational Sherry, who's going to hold it until October of 88, which is about when we're talking about here. And uh, Rockin' Robin is going to win it over in Paris, France. Let's talk about Harley Race as we're talking about talent moving and shaking. This is the era where we don't really acknowledge other promotions. So we can't really acknowledge on our program that Harley Race is a legend from his NWA days. So when he comes in in 86, we have him win a tournament to be crowned king of the WWF and pair him with Bobby Heenan. And of course, he had that big feud with uh, JYD at WrestleMania 3 and that's a pretty big, unique spot at the time, uh, to have him as a former NWA champion working sort of the middle, but then man, he gets a, a big match against Hulk Hogan at Saturday night's main event. And that was a, uh, well, a pretty legendary injury. I think it might be the first table spot in WWE history. He's supposed to uh, dive off of uh, the apron onto Hogan. Who's laid out across the table. Hogan moves. And this is not uh, a table like we would use these days, to say the least. And Harley's hurting for certain. He's going to be out with a hernia surgery. Do you remember hearing about that brutal hernia surgery or injury that he suffered in this table match with Hulk Hogan?
1: Yeah, I do. You know, there was, for the Coliseum video collectors out there, there was a best of. WWF tape that came out. It's again one of those things at right place, right time. And there was a guy by the name of Steve Hecht. And Steve was the producer, and Steve would put all these tapes together for Coliseum Video. Steve didn't know the wrestling business. Steve was a sale, literally a salesman for Coliseum Video, but they made him the producer of these tapes to put them together because I think he was also a fan. But Steve was all about the money. Steve was just about, you know, more is more. They had a Hulk Hogan. might have been best of Hulk Hogan or something, but it was Hulk Hogan versus Harley Race from, I think, Boston Garden, whatever, one of them was first, Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden, but they show the match. And then they have the return in the other venue. So you let's let's call Boston Garden first and then they have the return in Madison Square Garden. Exactly the same match. Wow. Back to back on videotape. Oh yeah. To live in infamy. So I see this and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Did did you even watch what you put on? And he's like, oh, well, they're different places, different matches. But if you watched it, you would see different places, same match. Right. And I mean, same, you could have, you know, by that time, Harley was kind of in his groove. Harley's going to do the same thing. Hulk was going to do the same thing. Um, And that's, yeah, that's how I inherited Coliseum video. But the injury was something, you know, it was a spot that Harley had wanted to do and injured himself. Um, Now, you got to think about how bad Harley Race was injured here because Harley was one of those guys that you damn near have to run him over with a semi-truck for him to show up late, much less – or have his son's wrestling uh, match, he won't show up at all. But, um, you know, Harley was a tough guy. He was, he was not one to take time out for a ingrown hair or anything like that.
0: Well, let's talk about Harley for a minute here. The reason we're bringing him up is because he's going to leave the company shortly after the Royal Rumble in 1989. And he would say in an interview afterwards, Time and stuff was starting to catch up with me, started wrestling when I was 15 years old and back when I was world champion, I was wrestling seven nights a week, I would have a complete week off every four weeks with Vince, There was no time period off just every day working for Vince was pretty tough because he was in the process of trying to take wrestling over on a worldwide basis. What do you remember about the end of Harley race here in the WWF? Pretty much his words
1: say it. I think Harley was, Harley was tired. Harley was tired and Harley was beaten up. It's time to go. Um, You know, there was, there was a period in there just that Harley busted his ass. And I'll never forget uh, another guy, another one, you know, you look at, you look at things that happened in your career and and why they happen. And if they didn't happen, would you have ever been able to go as far as you did? And, there was a gentleman that Vince had brought in that was going to be, uh, what was he, supervising producer or executive producer or something. It was a big title. And came in, super nice guy. Um, Great guy, actually. Uh, Chris Carmody was his name. He was great in in the sports world, man. He was great out there in the real world. In our world, not so much because Chris didn't understand the nuances of what we did as far as promoting and as far as uh, having guys work around things. And Chris had heard that Harley had this injury. So went in, and at that time we did customized tapes for every single market. So Huntsville, Alabama would have a customized tape, go to your station in Huntsville, Alabama completely different tape that would go to Los Angeles, completely different tape that would go to Denver, Colorado, completely different tape that went to Dallas, Texas. And they were all customized for the individual markets, for whatever matches that they had coming to their market. And Chris looked at these and and saw that Harley Race was literally on the second from the bottom, like the second match on the card. And Chris took it upon himself to pull all of the customized tapes and send all those markets a generic show. Now, Harley was not going in for his surgery yet. Harley still had planned on working around this, and Harley had still, you know, like, oh, no, you know, I'll do the surgery here and I'll schedule it, but I'll still work up until then. And so Harley was still on those, on those tapes. But when I say he was on the tapes, it's like, um, it's a horrible way because Harley race was an incredible drawn, incredible man in general, but it was kind of like Hulk Hogan versus Kamala, Randy Savage versus Ricky steamboat, you know, blah, 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 all the time. And Harley race will be in action too. Right. And he took them all and we had to. Get all of the customized tapes. Get a couple of Lear Jets.
0: Oh no! Put a few
1: people on them, and go from market to market to market to market to make sure that all those markets take back the generic tape, make so that they couldn't screw up and run that line. by mistake. Yeah, take that one back and give them a customized tape, so that they had the correct information for the market specific.
0: Was that the end of him? That's dip- what I
1: remember about it.
0: Was that the end of him in the WWF it was unfortunately,
1: Yeah. but it was, you know, again, man, unlike some people that have been in that position, Chris was a super great guy.
0: Well, somebody else who we think a lot of here on this program is Haku. And after Harley comes back from that hernia surgery, he makes a brief, a brief little baby face, comeback, feeding with Haku, who at this point is the new King and uh, Bobby, the brain Heenan. I bring this up because around the same time, Haku is going to be found guilty on two of three charges in connection with biting the nose off of a dude in a bar fight. We've heard about this story a lot. It's a legendary wrestling story. You were around when all this was going down. What do you remember hearing of this crazy story that I don't think, I hope, is never replicated in wrestling again?
1: (laughs) Well, I think the guy tried to bite Haku first.
0: Okay. So... It's just like my puppy
1: that I have in there right now. She bites me. I bite her. She doesn't like it. So she stops biting me. You're biting dogs over there, bro. Yeah. If I have to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She got a little puppy teeth and she like latch on and everything. And then, so I go, okay, you you sure you want to do that? I'll grab her little paw and bite it. (laughs) And then she goes, I said, you didn't like it, did
0: you? Well, see, I didn't like you biting my hand. So I bit your paw. And she says, well, what if I don't bite your hand? I said, then I won't bite your paw. Wait, the dog said, what if I don't bite your hand? Yeah. But I can't you, help it if your dogs don't talk, man. You got to, you got to get some more rest up there. Uh, outlaw Ron Bass. Uh, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about him I here on the show. Before. He's going to uh, wrap up here in 89. Uh, after the rumble, I guess he's got about two months later before he's out of here. Any fun Ron Bass stories you can share? Man, you know,
1: again, another just legendary. um, This was during a time where some of the guys, I'll call them journeymen, like Ron Bass, man. Ron, I I love traveling with Ron. I love being around Ron because he always made you laugh, and he was just one of those um, really nice human beings. Took care of people, you know, just wasn't an asshole. He was, he was a good guy. Uh, but one night, Ron couldn't get a promo. Ron, I say couldn't get a promo to save his life. Um, Ron could. But if you gave Ron specifics to hit, sometimes he didn't. I don't know, man. I think he just got psyched out up there. And with the beefcake thing, I had to do five. Five brother love shows with Ron in one night. And on the last one, I finally went out and just cut the promo for Ron, and basically in that right, brother cowboy.
0: Oh, I got and you. He
1: just laughed. I got you. Um, but again, you know, you, you go back and watch some of his stuff in Florida and even the Carolinas. Man, Ron could cut a promo. Ron was a cut a good promo, hardworking guy. But I think he just got psyched out up here.
0: Big John stud, a mainstay of the WWWF through the seventies and early eighties. He would even feud with Andre, the giant. And I guess it reached a peak at the first WrestleMania, that whole $15,000 body slam challenge match at the time. Stud is the heel Andre is the baby face studs going to retire in 88 after teaming with uh, King Kong Bundy for some of the time as part of the Heenan family. What do you think led to the decision for uh, big John stud to retire?
1: I think he realized that when you retire, you don't get paid. Oh, you know, one like he was sixty five and going to go collect Social Security.
0: Well, hang on. No, I'm asking why did he retire? Uh, well, I, oh, I thought you asked why he came back. Oh, yeah, I'm asking why did he? Why did he think I he I needed think to retire? Done. He was burnt out, or his body was yeah. beat up, or both.
1: Yeah, I think he was just. I think he was just done. I think he was just burnt out and. And wanting to get off the road and man, you know, it was a different business and you worked every day, right? And those days off were few and far between, but you wanted to work every day. The more you worked, the more you made, the more you made, the more you worked.
0: Let's, um, let's talk about December of 88 after he retires our, uh, our pal, big John stud comes back and he's, uh, on the brother love show as a surprise guest And Brother Love says that Stud's success was only because he was managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan, and then he welcomes the brain to the set. Stud wants nothing to do with him, calls Heenan a weasel, and Stud announces he's no longer a part of the Heenan family. So I like when you said, you sort of gave us the answer before we got there in terms of he realized when you retire, you don't get paid. Uh, What do you remember about working with Big John Stud? Was this somebody that Vince was still enamored with? We've always heard that Vince was always interested in the attractions and these larger than life characters and guys who could pass the airport test stud checked a lot of those boxes.
1: Sure did. And, and I, you know, look, I knew John stud from, uh, his days in Texas in Dallas. So in the mid seventies, I first met stud. we would drive John to the airport and, uh, talked to him about everything under the sun, knew his uh, wife to be at the time, His, his fiance would become his wife and, um but john was you know this just really i don't know man i don't know if john really belonged in the business he did because he was a giant and you know looked like he belonged in the business but i don't think john truly loved and and or enjoyed the business per se so you know coming back john had presented himself as oh my god i'm in the best shape of my life i'm Deadlifting a thousand pounds and uh what have you, and so I'm shooting vignettes with John, and he, you know, as I've told you before, like superstar Billy Graham, you know, brother of the arms, of forty-two inches, and all that good shit. Guys will exaggerate over the phone. You didn't have internet. You didn't have FaceTime. Well, hey man, just jump on FaceTime. Let me see how you look right now. We didn't have that. Right. If you took a picture, you had to send it off to go get developed. You'd get it in a week or two. All right, kids? That's what we did back in the day. You didn't have a phone, take a picture, and send it to somebody else. If you took a picture of your junk and you sent it to go get it developed, they would turn you in. right. <laughs> All right. So don't do that. Shit stays with you forever. And this is advice to just people out there in general. Why are you taking pictures of your junk and sending it out on the wide world of web internet?
0: Good call. Damn
1: clouds. And so anyway, uh,
0: <laughs> if you've ever wanted to see an old man yell at a cloud, there you go. We made it happen.
1: So stud. You know, I was talking about how, God, he'd been, he's lifting more than he ever had. He's in great shape, and we could do all these. Vince is like, oh, my God, we do all these strongman vignettes. He's a 1,000 pounds. You know, we could put some gimmick weights on there, and make it look like, you know, 1,500 pounds, whatever. I get John to the gym. Uh-oh. I got my crew there. I got everything. I probably have, I don't know. Four hundred fifty pounds, okay, on the deadlift. But it looks
0: like it's about twelve hundred pounds. How does it look like it's about twelve hundred pounds, first? Well, because there's a lot of other weight on there. There's gimmicks on there. There's weight, okay. But it's not not probably as accurate as it says. I got you.
1: So, John John can't do it.
0: He can't do the four fifty. Yeah.
1: Okay. And I'm like. Which is okay. See, this is gonna take us to a story later on in this podcast. Okay, but John couldn't do it. (laughs) I am like, son of a bitch, man. I was okay, let's try something else. And everything that we did, man, it was, it was uh, to say that he exaggerated a little bit would be an understatement, but I know how to shoot shit, I know how to uh, make things look better than they are. Right. And he looked like a million bucks coming back. And that was Vincent saying, oh, God damn it. He made him look great. I said, Yeah, I get that. But whatever. You weren't sold on him. I wasn't sold on John is a baby face. Okay. Cause there was something about John that people just liked to not like. Now the human being, great guy, loved the business. Um, no, he was he was really a great guy, but John didn't really care about the business that much. Man, he was he was in it to make a living, and take care of his family, and get out as soon as he could.
0: What's the old uh, Mister Perfect? Get in, get over, get out. That's what he was looking to do. There you go. Then there's Randy Savage.
1: Save your money. It's not what you make. It's what you save. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dig it. Gonna give you some advice. T-bills. Bonds. The government will never go broke. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, tell everybody. They'll all be doing it. <laughs> That's an honest-to-God fucking conversation I had with Randy on an uh, airplane one time. I love that. Yeah. Don't in tell him. Fa- in my face. T-bills, uh uh-huh. The government will never go broke. Yeah. Don't tell everybody. They'll all be doing it. <laughs> so y'all don't tell nobody, all right? I don't think I have one T bill in my portfolio, whatever.
0: No, uh, let, let's talk about stud and then we'll move on. Uh, at this point in January of 89, what was the plan with Andre? I ask because you're talking about maybe bringing him back as a baby face and talking about stud, of course. And when he comes back, he's programmed with a team and big boss man. But at this point, studs, most famous opponent is Andre the giant. Well, that brings me to, to Andre, we're still a little bit away from, you know, the end of Andre, but we're not quite at the height of Andre physically. He's probably starting to hurt a little bit here. What can you tell us about what the plan was? We'll call it January 89 with Andre.
1: Oh, the plan was to get back to stud
0: Andre. Okay.
1: Yeah. And we did. And John left again. He could not take it. Andre just beat the shit out of him every night.
0: You know, we've talked about that a little bit before, but the gist was Andre was, he, he was territorial about being the only quote unquote giant. Is that fair to say? (sighs) He didn't like John. But why though? Just his mere presence? Just his mere presence.
1: Okay. I think that's pretty accurate. You know, it's, it's funny. Somebody said something about, you know, Taker and Andre, and they oh, Andre wasn't even there when Taker was there. Yeah,
0: he was. He yeah, was sure as hell was. Yeah. Um, but
1: those are the experts that people call experts.
0: Who's saying that?
1: I don't know. Somebody said it recently.
0: Well, let's talk about the Ultimate Warrior. He's going to win the Intercontinental title from a honky tonk man at SummerSlam 88. It takes him all of 31 seconds. Rude becomes the number one contender. They had uh, a memorable feud, Rude did with uh, Jake the Snake. But now it's all about Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior to set the tone for the feud that they're going to have maybe for the next couple of years or so. They're going to compete in a pose down instead of a match. This is an interesting way to introduce a feud. Again, this is the era where we're doing bodybuilding competitions and we're doing weightlifting competitions and we're doing arm wrestling competitions. But I'm sure from your standpoint, you know, if you really want to get a longer segment out of it, maybe it's better not to have warrior wrestle. Let's go do a pose down. Is that the thinking?
1: Yeah. We didn't know that he could really get blown up doing a pose down.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You were hoping he wouldn't
0: you've talked about when we talked about, uh, warriors run in 90, that rude was maybe the perfect guy to work with warrior. Why was he the perfect guy here? Like you're trying to build the warrior character and, and every great baby face needs a, a heel and you've got to have that antagonist. What was it about them that just clicked that you could recognize here in 89? Well,
1: because you could give Rick Rude a tackling dummy and Rick could make it look competitive. And wasn't, and wasn't, you know, shy about putting the tackling dummy over if he needed to. Right. He had those skills. So for warrior to get to where warrior needed to go, needed to be with people that were willing to work with him and get him to that point. Not everybody wanted to work with ultimate warrior, believe it or not.
0: Well, I know who everybody wants to work with. And that's the backyard butchers. I got to tell you, them. we, you and I have had a few different meat sponsors here on our program, but I think we found uh, the right partner for us, man. Backyardbutchers.com. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to go check it out. This is quality steak with free shipping, and this is restaurant quality steak y'all, but the reality is you get bulk meat specials. That are reasonably and responsibly sourced from American Farms, delivered right to your door. And man, they got a special offer for you right now. Not only do you get 15% off, but you'll get free shipping and you'll even get four free ribeyes for life with every subscription. Imagine opening up a high quality box of steak and recreate that steakhouse experience right in your backyard at less than grocery store prices. That's exactly what you'll get when you order from Backyard Butchers. And I gotta tell you, Bruce, when we first got our boxes, man, I didn't believe it. The idea that we were gonna get restaurant quality meat and it was somehow cheaper than the grocery store, it seemed too good to be true. But it's the real deal, man. I've had my fair share of uh, ribeyes from these folks. It is a favorite here at the house. My wife knows when I start firing up the grill, Backyard Butchers are right around the corner. And by the way, they don't just have steak. They got your pork and your chicken whatever you're looking for, they got it. And the best part again is it's all on a budget, baby. You cut out the middleman grocery stores. You're still getting meat from the heartland of America. It's hundred percent American beef, pork, and chicken. And by the way, it's going to show up to your door in an eco-friendly insulated box. They're going to guarantee that your meat shows up at the perfect temperature. It's uh, it's fresh, it's safely packaged. It's delivered to your front door. How do you beat it? I, uh, I can't recommend it enough. And by the way, this is not a gimmick. Let me just tell you, there's no memberships. There's no subscriptions necessary, but you can choose to subscribe. But if you do, you can cancel time. I'm telling you, once you try them one time, you'll want to subscribe because you're going to reorder based on the taste, based on the quality and based on the price. I just can't stress this enough. It's cheaper than the doggone grocery store. Y'all for a limited time. One more time. They got 15% off and free shipping and four free ribeyes for life with every subscription. Think about that, four free premium restaurant quality juicy ribeyes delivered to your door when you go to backyardbutchers.com. So right now go to backyardbutchers.com, click on the online shop and then order. Remember now, no subscriptions or memberships are necessary. So what are you waiting for? They got the steak, they got the pork, they got the chicken and you can get 15% off and free shipping and four free ribeyes for life and use our promo code WRESTLE at BackyardButchers.com It's the real deal is it not Bruce? What was the first thing that I did when I got mine? Fired up those rib eyes, baby
1: and I called you and I said dude have you tried this yet? and you said no I just got my box and we're going to be cooking them up tonight and I said well I don't know why it's taking you so long because I got my box today and we cooked ours up tonight but my night was an hour ahead mine because you're in a different time zone yes but Yes, folks, this, this meat is excellent.
0: You can't beat their meat. You can't beat their meat folks. Nope. You can try to beat their meat, but you oh, won't be able to won't. beat their meat. No, can't. you, you can't beat their meat Conrad. <laughs> I've tried and I just it's can't excellent. beat the meat. I've eaten their meat and you can't beat their meat, but you can't eat their meat. It's BackyardButchers.com. use that promo code wrestle. We are a couple of 12 year olds. All right. So. A few days after the rumble, we see the mega powers fall apart on the main event. It all happens during a match with the twin towers. We've talked about this before the whole, you got lust in your eyes line. Uh, this is an all time. Yeah, lust in your eyes. Uh, uh-huh. I can see it right there. Yeah. huh. you lust in your eyes. What's what's fun about this is it happens just a few days after this Royal Rumble. So at this Rumble, you guys know where you're going. Uh, Uh Who was more excited about this storyline? You Vince Savage or Hogan, because this is an all timer. Well, you
1: know, I tell you what it was, um, it was fun. And once we got into it, you know, We were able to lay out moments that we knew we could call back to when it comes to WrestleMania time. We, we looked at opportunities to go, hey, what about this? You remember when Randy had Liz up on his shoulder and she started to teeter and Hulk steadied her? Was he steadying her or was he grabbing her ass? Oh. Because you look in his eyes. You know, so it it was fun, man. I I think everybody, I think everybody was into it. Um, you know, it's crazy at this time and in the business, I think Vince was a little more serious and analytical about everything than, um, I don't know, everything, everything had to be just so, and, uh, and it was, I mean, it was, uh, we did those, those vignettes telling that story. And when you realized that from, for one year, you told that story, it was amazing. All the little pieces that came together and you go, Oh my God, I didn't catch that. Holy cow. Look at, look at Hogan, man. He's grabbing her ass or, you know, look at the way he's looking at her or where was he for Randy? You know, that type of thing. And, and it was a uh, masterful storytelling in my opinion.
0: Just great stuff. One of the all time great storylines. I think everybody can agree on that. Let's talk about uh Houston. This is going to be your first WWF pay-per-view in Texas since you joined the company back in 87. What was it like being back in Houston for the first time on a big WWF stage? Not quote unquote just a house show or quote unquote just a TV taping, but a big old show like this. I mean, this is a pay per view.
1: Yeah, it was monumental. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't New York, LA or Chicago. Right. It was Houston and, and my, my home. So for me, I thought it was a, a, a pretty damn big deal and was looking forward to that, being home, being around everybody and being able to say,
0: yeah, at Royal Rumble Royal is ours. But yeah. What was your Good relationship shit. like with, uh, with, with the Bosch family at this point? just add um, some context they had been closed up uh almost two years i think at this point and um you know you're here uh, after you left bosch you you jumped to vince and i know there was some hurt feelings but we're a couple mm-hmm. years removed from that now what was your relationship like in 89
1: um didn't really have one i mean uh uh paul passed in uh march that year just a couple months and- after
0: this show yeah
1: yeah, and it, it kind of went downhill from there for a little while. But but um, after that, in the summer of 89, I uh, began speaking with his widow again, and we kind of, you know, worked everything out. She didn't realize all the things that had actually taken place and or not taken place. Paul didn't discuss business with, with his wife at all. She knew nothing of the business.
0: I know we've talked about it before, but I just want to briefly discuss and bring up, I think everybody listening to this knows that you sort of grew up working in Bosch's territory and he was your first quote unquote wrestling mentor before you started working with Vince. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Correct. Do you, do you think that boy just said a different way? It hurt Paul's feelings. What? That you left? For me to leave? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I do. I,
1: I think that fall that. Paul felt betrayed and his feelings were hurt. Paul didn't know. So Paul didn't know what I was going through on the other side. Paul didn't know the promises that had been made to me by other people in in the promotion and things of that nature that just weren't coming to fruition. And it it wasn't like, hey, I'm promising you to be the champion or anything like that. But When I looked at it, uh, there was no path to grow anything other than sitting in that office in 1919 Carolina on the corner of Pearson, downtown Houston, open each day of the week, Monday through Friday from 9 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Now, tickets and information were available during that time. Um, That was it. And I saw an opportunity. I wanted more. I wanted I wanted to be involved. I, I wanted to do TV. I wanted to be involved in the stories. I wanted just to do so much more than what I was doing. And as long as Paul was there and his nephew, I knew that I was not going to be able to do it in Houston. Put it that way. That it, it no, was no longer set up to do that. I had an opportunity with Watts. Uh, Watts sold Crockett. Look, man, they made me an offer. But um, I didn't particularly care for, for Jim Crockett and didn't want to do that. So I packed up everything, you know, completely blind, didn't know anybody in the Northeast and moved because I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to, to be involved. And if you're going to be involved, don't you want to be imbo- involved with the best? Yes. So, um For Paul, I think Paul was was hurt. Man, I sent, I I made the cover of WWF magazine. That was a huge deal for me. Yes. Again, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm a kid. Yeah. And I'm on the cover of a magazine that you see all literally all over the world. Yes. And there's my face. And I sent Paul a note and a magazine. He opened it and then taped it shut and crossed out his address and put return to sender sent back to me
0: I still have that You still have that envelope Yeah
1: And it's just it's just it just ate me up inside it killed me it really hurt me but
0: You wanted you, know, him, you wanted him to be proud of you I did Yeah
1: I was thinking after you know I've been gone at that point, it was a year and a half, two years, whatever it was. And I thought, you know, can we get over this? You know, I was hoping that by that time he would have realized, you know, kind of the things that that I had been through and what I was going through. And, and he just never saw that side of it.
0: That's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a sad deal. So this is, uh, really the last time that the WWF was going to be in town before he passes away. And I know that he had a brief relationship with Vince. Of course, they, uh, did some joint shows together and we've talked about that before here on the archives. No chance. He's at this event though. Right? No, we did extend an invitation, but he
1: never answered yay. Nay didn't RSVP. Is sh- what it
0: is. The show takes place at the uh, Houston Summit, uh, now the home of Lakewood Church's Central Campus. Uh, is Houston Summit the go-to building for the WBF in this market in that era?
1: It was a major arena in the in the market run by Mike McGee and Jeff Gaines. Uh, shout out to Mike SMG Management and uh, dear friend of mine, but uh, and Jeff Gaines who started with Ticketmaster who then became the manager of the Summit and now Reliant Stadium and all that. But um, just great guys taught me an awful lot about the business end of arenas and what have you. But, yeah, Summit was you had the Sam Houston Coliseum downtown, which is old and pretty much run down. You had the Astro Arena, which was a small arena adjacent to the Astrodome that they would use for horse shows and things when the rodeo was in town. And then other small arenas probably held about 6,000. Then you had the summit The summit was the big, uh, big arena. It held God, 14, 15,000, something like that.
0: So the rumble 89 begins a string of rumbles held in Texas over the years. It was held there again in Houston at Minute Maid park in 2020 the AT&T center in San Antonio in 2007. And of course the Alamo dome now at least three times, um, 97, 2017. And of course this year, what is it about Texas and the Royal rumble that just goes so well together? Do you think? Well, if you don't have a rumble, you got to have one in Texas by God,
1: Texas people like rumble by God. It's just, you got to fight and every two minutes, somebody else joins the fight. And so it just becomes going until there's just one guy standing. That's, you know, I think Texas
0: understand that. Texas does understand that. Yes. Uh, there's several guys on this card that came through Houston on their way to the WWF. Andre, the giant, Barry Darso, Greg Valentine, Jim Duggan, Jake Roberts, Sean Michaels. It's, uh, it's amazing. What a small world wrestling is at times. Is it not?
1: and get smaller every
0: day yeah
1: yeah you know it's it's funny if there was ever a lesson to be learned you know you can take it from the business and you're going to see the same people on the way up that you see on the way down so it's always good to take that into consideration
0: of course the uh, the Royal Rumble uh, the and uh, the one they call the inaugural event is uh, Cops Coliseum Hamilton Ontario Canada in January of eighty eight. I guess they tried one in eighty seven too as like a house show type thing. Yeah, uh, but that one in eighty eight is on the USA Network. I think this is the first one on pay per view. Uh, what did you learn- what did you learn from the first Royal Rumble that was on USA, which we sort of talked about a little bit last week briefly that you tried to apply to this show. And then of course the difference being one is on television and has commercial breaks. This one is not, we sort of talked about that a little bit last week, but was there anything else you learned from a television standpoint of just a production standpoint, uh, between that 88 and 89 rumble?
1: Just, just timing more than anything. What I mean by that is the timing of when people come in and when people go out and making sure that, If something as big is going to happen that three people aren't doing something else over here to to distract from that. Uh, Just. More than anything, probably the timing of it and looking for the moments. Um, That more so developed over time when we would put things in the rumble that became moments. So then you, you start, okay, well, that was. That turned out a lot better than we thought it would. And people really dug that. Now you, you try to create those moments. So it was, it was a learning experience and it was, we were still learning. Trust me with the rumble.
0: Talk to me about the decision to go from 20 to 30, that USA network special back in 88. um, That had 20 guys. This rumble that we're covering today, 89 has 30 guys. How does that change come to be? Everything's bigger in Texas. Oh, goodness gracious. Listen to you. Good God. Well, it is.
1: I think that that was just a kind of the magical number. It was, you know, 20 was too short. 50 was too long.
0: The match itself is uh, a masterwork in storytelling in a single match. You've got all these different storylines intersecting. You have to keep them going. So why not use this match as a way to further those storylines? Talk us through how you would structure a rumble. Is this something that you and, and Pat and Vince would all work out together or what's the process?
1: Well, uh, at this point in time, it was a, mainly, you know, Pat and Vince that would kind of lay everything out. And then, uh, I would go th- through it with a television eye and kind of look at things Um, only later when I came back in, in nineties, the rumble was something that Pat was very passionate about. And I loved working on the rumble with Pat. So the, the match itself, we would sit there and we would write and, and just try to come up with the stories that you have, how they're represented and then create new stories out of things that could happen in the Royal rumble match itself. So once you have all of that laid out, then you just kind of put it together. You know, it's, it's like timing to me. Timing is, is not something and laying out a Royal rumble is not something that you can just, ah, yeah, go, go, go write me a Royal rumble. It's not that easy right? to, to do it correctly. Um, and it's, it's a feel versus this is how you do it. i tell you how to do a scoop slam to a fucking body slam. I can tell you how to do that. I can't tell you how, when I look at a show and there's a feel for it, why I assign certain times to certain things. Why, you know, I can tell you what I want at the top of the hour, but I can't tell you how I'm getting there all the time. I can't explain it. It's just a feel and it's the same thing with a rumble match. It's a feel that you have to, you do, or you don't, some people don't get it.
0: One of the other things that evolved with the rumble over the years is during these early rumbles, guys would come into the ring without music, except for the first two participants. What was the thinking at the time? You didn't want to take away from the in-ring action.
1: Again, it was all new. It, It was just something that was brand new this way that we did it and the guy runs in you know you know, stop it down for music um and then as time went on and it evolved like well, let's try it with their entrance music they could work a lot better a lot more exciting everybody knew who the hell was coming down and the countdown clock too was another big deal to be able to put the countdown clock on the screen so people know and they can count 10 9 8 7 you know um it's crowd participation. Everybody's looking back there at two minutes and they, they know something's going to happen. Who's it going to be? And that's part of the intrigue of the rumble. Who's it going to be? Who's next?
0: Well, let's talk about the show. It draws a sellout. Uh, it has to feel good to be back in Houston and it be a big pay-per-view and be sold out. There's one dark match, uh, Jim powers and Barry Horowitz. Jim gets the win. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Barry Horowitz here on the show. Any good stories about Barry? <laughs> Man, Barry almost got us
1: kicked out of uh, of the travel lodge in Dallas. Um great guy, Barry Horowitz. Um funny as shit. Actually uh managed Barry I almost said I almost married Banage. Uh I managed Barry in the GWF uh, in Dallas for a little while, and oh my God, we had fun because he's just damn funny and talented son of a bitch too. But Barry's cheap, very cheap, and Barry used to bring his gallon jugs of water and go in to the front office there, where you where you, the reception of the hotel where they had a big water cooler. Yes, Ozarka water cooler. And Barry would fill up his water jugs and basically bleed them dry with however many jugs he had. And then he would talk about, "Oh, hey, they got the same water that's in these jugs. It's free. Cost this this jug costs like almost a dollar fifty at the store." But Barry, man, you're and they they got to the point where they took the water coolers out they, they told uh um, <laughs> told eddie gilbert they go hey man your guy you know comes in here and drains our water it's like you know no more
0: <laughs> i don't know
1: why that's funny they, i think they this. thought i was his real manager too they were talking to me like oh, guy, you manage manage him
0: there's another uh uh, journeyman, another enhancement talent. That's synonymous with the WBF and another dark match here. Sam Houston is going to go ahead and get a win over Steve Lombardi. We recently talked about Steve Lombardi as uh, Abe knuckleball Schwartz in our worst gimmicks episode, but here in January of 89, he's not even quite yet. The Brooklyn brawler, he's still regular old Steve Lombardi, um, any good Lombardi stories you can share with us because he's a character and half to, is he not? Um, no,
1: he, uh, (sighs) you know, where the hell were we? I'm trying to think it was mid in, in middle America. It was like in probably one of the South or North Dakota. I don't know somewhere there. And, he became the Brooklyn Brawler. So he's got all this stuff, his jeans and everything. Bobby's like, ah, you're not dirty enough. You need to get some dirt on you and just, you know, rough things up, you know, tear your shirt, tear, you know, I mean, it'll all clean. Brooklyn Brawler with a nice, clean white shirt, clean jeans on it. So Bobby made him crawl through the duct system and on top of the, in the boiler room where all the engines and just grease and grime and filth and dirt all over the place. And Bobby had him crawl up along there to get dirty and have him roll in it and, and get dirty. so said, now keep it like that. Now you look like a brawler. And somewhere in there, while Steve is doing this, and Steve would be blamed for practical jokes. Um, but remember when, um, uh, Bad News Brown had the had the rats, the sewer rats. Yes, yes. Well, we actually had real rats.
0: Okay. What were their names? Um, well, there was anyway. Joe Um, it's oh, a different era.
1: Yeah, dude, nice. So someone let the rats out.
0: Who let the rats okay. out? Who? 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 Who, Who? Who? Yeah. let the rats out? No. There's a shirt available yeah. now over at boxofgimmicks.com. Yeah. And um,
1: so the building personnel swore and they like, so it, it was um, like $3,000 in exterminating bills to get the rats out to wow. the rats wow. after we left the building and they swore that it was brawler because they saw him crawling around up there.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Now legend has it that it actually wasn't brawler. That it was uh, Marty Gennetti. That Genetti
0: let the rats out.
1: Yeah. And it makes more sense that it was Ginetti, but at the same time it was, it was blamed on, on brawler. And so since they had an eyewitness, they had to go with that.
0: Well, Holgenetti, he uh, he was trouble with them rats. We know that. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, he had he had
0: a lot of experience with the rats. So we'll see. You had to let him in. You had to let him out. Might even say he's like them. the the rat whisperer. You know. Oh. Match number one here on the Royal Rumble. We're finally at the show here. It's the Hart Foundation teaming up with hacksaw Jim Duggan to take on the Fabulous Rougeaus and Dino Bravo. Frenchie Martin's in their quarter. It's two out of three falls in something called international rules. Joey Morella is our referee. Uh, this is originally billed as a flag match, but we're going to change it to, uh, international rules. I assume it's changed because Brett's Canadian and it wouldn't make sense for him to have an American flag or talk me through that. Well, hell no. It's like, of course it makes no
1: sense. Brett's Canadian. Then you got them Quebecois on the other side with that flowered uh, Deloise or whatever it is. I, I cannot say that word. The fleur oh flat Yeah.
0: Flower, Flower Deloise. Okay. Yeah. I actually look like Dom Deloise. Yeah. I, I've been told I look like Dom Deloise. You do? Yeah. Big old you fat guy. Know, and dark hair, and, and uh one-man gang had a love I child. A love child, and here I am. Hey, talk to me about why this is two out of three falls. Uh, Normally in these days, when you see two out of three falls, it's with uh, a certain type of performer. As a reminder, Dino Bravo and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are in this match. And I don't think anybody would ever say, man, you reckon we could get them to do a two out of three. Goddamn right. That's why they had it. (laughs) Um, Is this really because we're trying to fill time on a pay-per-view? Didn't need to fill
1: time. You know, unfortunately, I think sometimes that was often one of the reasons to do things. Then you get there and go, oh my God, we have way, we have way too much show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, man, you got your workhorses, Dino and Duggan they'll do six out of nine falls if you need them to.
0: Let's talk about Dino for a minute. This is about a year after he starts dyeing his hair blonde and he starts playing up, uh, his, uh, his Quebec heritage. He's going to gain Frenchy as a manager prior to that. He had been managed by luscious, Johnny V and worked as a part of the new dream team with Greg Valentine after beefcake turned face after WrestleMania three. Did you have a preference? Like of all the different versions of Dino Bravo, which was your favorite?
1: Uh Frenchie Martin, we that Dino Bravo, and that Martin, man. I love Frenchie. Yeah, I'm a bit I I just big. like Frenchie with, with Dino because it was um le- at least Frenchie gave him some some character and, and some charisma. <laughs> Frenchie, Frenchie was that the the mouse you know in that cartoon yes yeah. Frenchie martin taught me how to smoke the marijuana on the plane cross country you go going to the bathroom put no put some more yeah that kind of shit don't do that kids
0: do not smoke marijuana on an airplane
1: do not smoke on an airplane
0: uh, this match we see Ray Rougeau pick up the first fall over Brett. Brett's gonna pin Ray back for the second fall, and Brett picks up the third fall after Duggan hit Bravo from behind with a two by four. So Duggan's a damn dirty ass cheater, but he got away with it. In fifteen minutes and forty-two seconds, our baby faces are victorious. And your boy Dave Meltzer said Duggan looked terrible, so what else is new? Only because of Hart and slightly Jacques, the match was a decent way to open the show. Two and a quarter stars. Duggan has never been a newsletter favorite. Why do you think that is? Because he draws
1: money and knows how to work.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think maybe
1: you, he's never been to the Tokyo Dome, though. Maybe that's why.
0: Will you stop? Uh, next, we hear some pre recorded commercials from participants in the Rumble match. DiBiase is going to draw a number he's unhappy with. So he calls in Slick to make a deal for one of the numbers that was drawn by the Twin Towers. For the Million Dollar Man to uh, bribe his way into another spot, that's good character work here, is it not? That's good shit, pal. Everybody's got a price. Especially for the Million Dollar Man.
1: Of course. Everybody's got a price.
0: We also hear from Honky Tonk Man and the Bushwhackers as they're going to swap numbers. Uh, Bad News Brown, Jake Roberts is going to cut a promo on Andre, and the Rockers are going to wish one another good luck. We're trying to show that Hey, it really is every man for himself. So we're involving the tag teams. Are you producing these backstage vignettes? Well, this has been something on your docket.
1: Yes. Unfortunately I was doing those. What do you My remember? My good friend, Bob Collins. Bob Collins was the the guy rotating the tumbler.
0: We haven't spent any time talking about Bob Collins. As far as I know here on the program, any good Bob Collins Last of The
1: great promoters, man. Really? Bob, Bob Collins. Bob Collins brought us the WWF blimp. Uh, So many things Bob Collins is responsible for A true promoter's promoter What what made him Don't make him like him anymore
0: What made him such a good promoter
1: Because he wasn't afraid to fall on his ass He was willing to get out He was always willing to Look at something and say How are we going to make the most noise What are we going to get the most bang for our buck from And it was Never conventional. He he would always go to the unconventional because that's what people remember. So, when we're sitting there one day and he comes in, he says, "What about a blimp?" Um, We're like, "The Goodyear blimp?" No, WWF blimp. Um, Okay, he found a blimp. Wow. And but I mean that kind that kind of stuff that he did. Bob Collins, man, you know, Bob is, is uh, one of the guys behind the Lex Express. It's a different way to do it. We had talked about, you know, George Bush doing the, the train tour. And you know, the bus came up and thought this could be a pretty cool thing to do. Um, Times Square, Wall Street, those, those type of things. Bob, Paul, Bob Collins promotions that, that Bob would take it and promote it and make it larger than it already was.
0: That's awesome man. I'm glad we're got Bob
1: some- to death man. he also played uh you know when we did the commercials later on. I forget what what it was, but he was wink or he would wink in the camera and kind of like
0: okay. If you're not watching, you got to go check us out. Something to wrestle.com is where you can see the video of all this foolishness that we're doing. This is not foolishness. I'm trying uh, to read emails while I do this. Match number two is uh, Rock and Robin, the women's champion, taking on Judy Martin. Uh, our old pal Earl Hebner is the referee. And Gorilla's going to point out that Robin enters the ring to Sam Houston's music. Um, It's interesting he points that out because I don't think we've. Acknowledge that they're related at all. What was the hesitation to quote unquote break kayfabe? Why wouldn't you acknowledge that these folks are related? Who cares? You don't think it could have added to the story? No, okay. Well, yeah, no. Well. All righty. Um, Sherry's gonna interrupt at the beginning, challenging the winner, and then she joins the commentary booth. Robin's gonna pick up the win with a crossbody block off the middle rope. Uh, total time here, six minutes and 42 seconds. Meltzer would say both women worked hard and they did a lot of moves, but the timing was below average and there was absolutely no heat whatsoever. Star and a half. And we never see a payoff from this match. And I got the winner and all that because the women's championship is actually quietly deactivated just the following year in 1990. We're really having a hard time trying to find He's our deactivated. Friends. Well, I mean, it go. we don't do anything with it. It just goes away. The women's division just evaporates, and we don't see the world title anymore. We're really trying hard. Uh, we tried a few times to get some momentum going with the ladies, and it just doesn't click. Why is that?
1: I just don't think that there was, you know, there wasn't a big cry for it at the time, but more than anything, you didn't have the talent. You didn't have as many uh, women that were, in the business on a regular, you know, full time, regular basis, nor did, um, it just wasn't, wasn't something that people, people still had in their mind, the, the fabulous moolah era more than anything. And as hard as we tried to get younger, fresher new talent in, there wasn't a lot of young, fresh new talent being trained. Right. We just weren't there and you know you didn't you didn't have a large uh, talent pool to draw from. So something happens one you know you had Sherry and you had Robin. Nobody else was under contract. they all still wanted to do their their uh, independent stuff elsewhere and we didn't have enough work to keep them working on a regular basis.
0: Next up on the program, we see a WrestleMania five motion graphic pop up on the screen, and it's not the sort of in your face over the top pay-per-view advertisement we're used to seeing with some sort of signature Jim Johnston sound and, and some sort of fun voiceover. It's just the logo and it starts moving around who's responsible. I mean, obviously graphics and computer technology and all that changed over the years, but who would have handled this sort of thing for you guys back then? Graphics RS. Lord have mercy. What? Graphics RS. Yeah, Graphics RS. Um next up we see Sean Mooney interviewing Slip. Who do you think would do it? I don't know who would do it. I I guess Graphics RS is fine.
1: See. See y'all have Graphics Be Us down in Alabama, but
0: Yeah. It's sort of like White Castle and Crystal. Right. Same same. Uh, Sean Mooney's going to interview slick in the twin towers about the uh, towers chance in the rubble. Mooney's going to confront slick about DiBiase's attempt to buy one of the towers numbers. It's a neat thread throughout the show. Is this all your idea or is this something I know you're producing these segments, but, uh, the, the content of them, is that also from your brain or, or is it a collective collaboration? Uh,
1: Collective collaboration. I have no idea. I was producing them all, but yeah
0: just what if i got gotcha. you well what if you tried blue chew guys if you haven't tried blue oh, chew hey. already what are you waiting for they're a day one sponsor for us here on the program and uh man uh, they keep coming back every month because it really works and our listeners are experiencing better sex than ever before all and thanks to blue chew maybe this is your first time seeing the show well welcome to the show try blue chew now Seriously, it's a unique online service that's going to deliver you the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. So you can take them anytime, day or night, or plan ahead. Be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple, folks. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part it's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue tablets are made in the USA. They prepare and ship directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And if you think you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, we want you to chew it and do it, have some better sex. By the way, this isn't just for guys who have a problem. This is for guys who want to put on a <clears throat> five star performance. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue chew free. When you use our promo code wrestle at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's blue The promo code is Wrestle to receive your first month free. Visit blue for more details and important safety information. And we want to thank blue chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Next up, we've got the super pose down. Fink is going to introduce me Gene to uh, MC the super pose down between Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan and uh, the Ultimate Warrior. And Gene's going to explain that the two participants will compete in a series of poses and fans will decide the winner. I mean, listen, we all know that Vince has always had an interest in bodybuilding and the WBF really cements that. What'd you think of the idea of a pose down on pay per view? Not a TV. Oh, great idea. Okay. Well, yeah, look,
1: man, you know, you got to look at
0: history. And you've had superstars
1: like Billy Graham and Tony Atlas. And the funny thing about it is is we had several in Houston with Superstar Billy Graham. You had Superstar Billy Graham do a pose down with Tony Atlas. You had Superstar Billy Graham do a pose down with Miel Mascaras. Oh uh, God! I think we even had Gino do a pose down one time with somebody. So there, it's not out of the ordinary when you have people with incredible physiques that like to show them off to go out and, and have a pose down, see who has the the best body. Is voted on by the live audience. So Houston was very familiar with these from a wrestling standpoint, and I think people in general have done it for years. It's a it's a great way to shoot an angle without having to have a match.
0: Well, we're going to have a, a series of poses here. Before we do, Bobby Heenan's going to get on the mic and remind the crowd, "Hey, it's your job to be objective here." Of course, everybody's going to cheer the Warrior and boo the heel. Uh, and Heenan asks for a fifteen minute break to prep Rude for the third pose. Of course, Mean Gene says no, which is pretty fun. Uh, it's unfair. Warrior is uh, obviously bigger and uh, he gets impatient before the fourth pose. Rude is going to call for a medley of poses and then Hanan sprays warrior in the eyes with body oil and Rude's going to attack warrior with his steel workout bar and uh, Hanan and Rude are off to the back. Warrior comes to and he attacks the officials who are trying to help him and then he runs out after Rude and Meltzer had this to say. The highlight was when the medics came out to help the warrior and Dr. Nicholas Warren Bockwinkle came out and warrior went berserk and threw the officials around and Nick, the doc showed better timing after taking a slap from him than 70% of the wrestlers employed by Titan sports as entertainment. It was too slow paced and way too predictable as wrestling. It was a waste of time, except it saved us from something worse. And that is having to watch the warrior in a match. As bodybuilding goes, it was a joke. Whoever heard of wearing long tights in bodybuilding? Rick's body is nothing special, and Warrior is positively freaky, negative one star. I'd call it a dud, except I Rick's he... body was nothing special? Yeah, I don't understand that comment. Wow. I wish I'd have an
1: unspecial body like
0: that. <laughs> God that- damn backstage we get more pre-recorded interviews this time and with, by
1: the way that Bok, the bockwinkle bump was one of the worst bumps i've ever seen but that again that solidifies the the expert
0: all right before you, you get all high and mighty on us you had to have fun with uh, the idea of of putting dr bockwinkle out there this is good stuff he wasn't is- dr bockwinkle he was an agent okay my point is he's checking on him. It's fine. It's a it's Well
1: yeah, because he's an agent and making sure he's a So were the referees doctors too because they were checking on him.
0: How do you explain to a wrestling fan what an agent is? Not not now, then. We didn't. They were officials. Okay. WWF officials. Backstage we get more pre-recorded interviews. This time with the managers, we got Mr. Fuji reminding us that the powers of pain are coming for demolition. And then mean Gene is going to grill miss Elizabeth on whose quarter will she be in savage or Hogan? She remains neutral further setting up. Of course, this mega powers explosion. And then Jimmy Hart's going to cut a promo on his better half of double trouble, honky tonk man and Greg the hammer Valentine. And this is before Valentine dyes his hair black and they become rhythm and blues. Uh, do you remember double trouble being this team's original name? I didn't know that. I didn't remember that until I watched this back.
1: Yeah. I think that was just something Jimmy called them. It I wasn't gotcha. an official name. Copy rhythm and blues, baby. Greatest tag team of all time.
0: Next up. We've got uh, King Haku taking on the former King, a Harley race. Joey Morella is the referee and the winner gets to claim. He's the real King of the WWF. Um, the match goes nine minutes and one second. Ultimately Haku is uh, going to get the win after he uh, reverses uh, or uses a reverse thrust kick. And Heenan, of course, sides with him, but this is sort of heel versus heel here. But I guess anytime that Heenan is uh, standing across from you, well, we know for sure that you're the babyface. Bobby was never a babyface in this era. Meltzer would say he was in my eyes. By God, what a great dude! Race wrestled like the ghost of Harley Race, doing all the old bumps, but so slow and pathetic into no reaction. Haku is all wrong for the gimmick as well, but it's really just a venue for Heenan both tried, but zilch for heat. And I was truly saddened watching the once great race in this position dud. So listen, it is the end of a, uh, a long, successful, fantastic career, but it is clear here after the surgery that Harley's probably lost a step here. No, Harley lost a step a long time ago.
1: And you know, it was, Harley was past his prime. Harley should have retired, you know, a while ago. But um, you know, it's it's funny when you hear those comments like that from people like that that make those comments. If it had been in any other place, it'd go, oh, what a courageous performance. Yes. You know, by Harley Rays. And yes. it's just so disingenuous and so just laugh out loud, biased. Um, yeah, man, Harley was. Harley had been on his last leg while
0: for quite a while. Um, is what it is. It is what it is indeed. Uh, let's talk about the way Haku comes to the ring here. It was quite a spectacle. Uh, he's going to uh, be carried to the ring by a bunch of jacked up dudes. I think he used to call this big chair. Was it the sedan? Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah. Where where do you find these guys who are going to be carrying Haku to the ring? You just go down to the local gym or these local enhancement guys or local workers or.
1: Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't call those guys jacked up by any stretch of the imagination. They're kind of short and dumpy. Um, I'd be
0: proud to have a short and dumpy body like that. No, you would not.
1: I'm just busting balls. No, no. The the one guy, if you're looking at it on, on the right to Haku's left,
0: that he could be your daddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's in comedy. Bruce It's called a callback. I was just doing a callback there. Uh, next up we see, uh, more promos. You're
1: calling me now.
0: Yes. For competitors in the rumble. We got Bruce beefcake, Greg Valentine, Mr. Fuji again, this time with the powers of pain. Maybe there's too much Fuji on this show. Uh, Mr. Perfect, Randy Savage, and the returning Big John Stud. Of course, Stud is doing a real babyface promo talking about how he's been in training for the last couple of years and he's ready for a comeback. And next up, we see the final interview with Ted DiBiase as Mean Gene grills him about the transaction with Slick. As we'll find out, DiBiase bought the number 30 slot, which is <laughs> pretty awesome. Uh and then Sean Mooney's gonna interview Bobby Heenan, the Brainbusters, and what he called the odds on favorite, Andre the Giant. Lastly, Mean Gene finally interviews Hulk Hogan, who's calling for the resurrection of Hulkamania. And he makes it clear he and Savage are not friends in the rumble match. And we're trying to really hit home here that it's every man for himself. Um, and I guess nothing really slams that home more than the first two in the rumble axe and smash. I think this is the only time Darso and Edie ever competed. What do you remember about that creative of, Hey, what if we put a tag team in there first, that's good stuff.
1: You know, look, we, we'd only had one Royal rumble
0: that people had ever seen uh, on
1: USA network and it's on pay-per-view to be able to give an example of every man for himself, man, let's start with it. Let's start with a tag team. What if. You know, the tag team drew number one and two. They'd have to, they'd have to go at each other. You know, we talked about, well, they don't do anything for two minutes. It's like, nah, let's show that the Royal Rumble is so prestigious, man. You're, you're going to fight your own brother. If you have to, to win this thing and to put a tag team in against each other. I thought it was great.
0: It was great. Really good stuff here. Um, from the observer, the Melster would say, The two minutes between entrants were legit this year. Unlike last year, this is, uh, really the first time we started to see Meltzer really pine about the time between, And, and sometimes people have called it Titan time. I even saw some criticism this past Royal rumble just a week ago about the ladies, not being exactly what they were supposed to be is, was that a priority back in the day to make sure that it was exactly on the money or it's a story who cares? It's a story. Yeah. The Rumble build is built around how invincible uh guys like uh Andre and Hogan and Stud and Nakeem and Bossman are. And Meltzer would say all the great workers took all the great bumps, but their offense had little to no effect on the freaks. Kurt Henning worked great with the little guys, but his offense had no effect against the big guys. Terry Taylor is still portrayed as a wimp, which I suppose in a work person's eyes could have helped him as a heel, but kills him as a face. This is smart on Vince's behalf because he employs all the freaks and his opposition employs wrestlers. And when freaks go against wrestlers, wrestlers come off as wimps. What do you make of that statement?
1: Well, I think that it just, uh, again, speaks to the ineptitude of the person writing that and you know what they are.
0: A lot of memorable moments in this show, uh, besides demolition squaring off, uh, first, we've got Jake, the snake being eliminated by Andre, but he comes back with yeah. Damien to get revenge. And then of course, Andre eliminates himself to escape the snake. That's pretty creative stuff here. Did Andre really hate snakes? Uh, this, this is good. Creative the idea that, Hey, how will we ever get the giant out? Well, if he just runs from the snake and wants to get the hell out of Dodge, that'll work. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, again, it's a creative way to continue to tell the story of Jake the Snake and Andre. And it's a nice way. I know like Snake.
0: I know like Snake. I know
1: like Snake.
0: Ron Bass comes in. He's got a freshly shaved head after losing a hair versus hair match against Brutus. And Shawn Michaels is in there showing off some impressive action with Kurt Henning. Who would have thought? What we would see from those guys in the future. Uh, Savage enters, and uh, eventually uh, Hogan does too. Three people later, and he's going to clean house and even eliminates the Warlord in a record two seconds. Is this an, uh, another uh, idea from Vince, or is that a, a pad idea of let's have a record elimination? Let's see how fast we can get somebody out.
1: Well, yes, I mean you know the the, the Bushwhacker thing actually was was the first time where we wanted to set the record for the fastest. Um, elimination and, you know, it's, it's a fun thing, but, uh, yeah, Hulk coming in, man, Hulk's got to make a statement. So it's kind of like a stop everything down and reset, get the guys out that you need to get out and move on. Part
0: two. The, the top story here obviously is uh, Hogan eventually eliminating Savage and Savage hopping back in the ring and getting in Hogan's face. Was there ever any consideration? of not putting the world champion in the match. I mean, I know these days we we've got stakes and whoever wins gets a title shot, and usually there's another title match on the pay-per-view somewhere. Was that ever considered here or was it just deemed necessary for this advancement of the storyline?
1: Well, you know, it was, look, we talked about Hulk and, uh, Randy getting into it. Didn't want to do that. Um, but again to really paint the picture of every man for himself. Will the mega powers go against each other or will they indeed explode? Uh, Didn't explode here, but it came close. It's just close enough. And to have the champion in the match at that time, we didn't have the stipulation that that didn't come until 93, that the winner of the Royal Rumble would face the champion at WrestleMania. So it had some stakes on it. At this point, you were just the winner of the Royal Rumble. Right. So to have Hogan in it, uh, added prestige to it just to have, you know, Hulk in the match itself.
0: It's not the end of the mega powers. They haven't quite exploded, but as you said, we're right there. And, uh, next up after Savage is out, here comes Bossman and Akeem. And eventually the twin towers are too much for Hulk Hogan. They toss him over the top rope and you managed to get Hogan out of the spotlight. So the spotlight is there on stud at, at the end. But it feels like at this point, the crowd sort of dies. Like they wanted Hogan. Uh, Hogan's going to pull than Kelsey's nuts. Hogan in a plate full of piss. Hogan pulls boss man out to eliminate him. It's not the last time we'd see Hogan pull somebody from the outside. I remember Sid at the 92 rumble. <laughs> uh, Bobby Heenan was always right. Hulk Hogan was always a heel. Yes. Uh, eventually, Big John Stud comes in at number 27. He's going to last 12 minutes and 21 seconds before he eliminates Akeem and Ted DiBiase. And uh, he gets the victory. Meltzer would say, nobody seemed to care since Stud has had so little TV exposure.
1: Nobody gave a shit.
0: What's what's going through your mind? Well, let me ask this Where are you during this pay per view? Are you on headsets in the back in Gorilla or somewhere else?
1: Well, it was probably a Gorilla if i was on headsets or just standing there
0: so if you're watching Um, on a monitor or whatever and you you hear the crowd or matter of fact you don't hear the crowd are you just looking at events like uh what the fuck are we doing i just i believe my comment was "Well, that was
1: part of church yeah yeah just you know and to add to it you had studs music which was slow and boom, 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 boom. And it was, there was no excitement to it. So he wins. Yeah. You know, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> the music brought you down and John wasn't the most charismatic guy in the world. They're like, ooh, ooh. So, so I can do that. I can do that on my right shoulder. This is the one that got uh surgery surgery this one i can do that all way. i get this one right about there (laughs) april april going in again we're going under under the knife again
0: connie are you really yeah um you're gonna have the same type of surgery you had before yeah not looking forward to that are you no yeah not at all sorry about that dude
1: ah so through the last one, and then and, and now, look. I mean, look. I can do this. I can do that.
0: I, 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 I feel like I'm you're Stewart like on Mad TV. and
1: stuff. Really, I can. I can kind of like get to about there like that. Let's see. go see. I can to see
0: like that. I can
1: kind of about like
0: yeah. So on the on the right yeah. one, what you should do is you should hit them with some <laughs> some Stewart from Mad TV. Wave that thing around and go. Look what I can do. Yeah. Hey, so uh, hindsight being twenty twenty should Hogan have won eliminated Savage last and Hogan won
1: I mean you look hindsight 2020 yeah maybe that would have been a good story uh adding to it the fact that uh Hulk eliminated Savage in it was where we wanted to go with the mega powers exploding but we were looking to get stud over looking to get somebody new over and stud was going to be headlining you know you had your Hogan Savage headlining on one side, and then we had stud headlining on the other side and trying to get John to that place is what we're looking to do.
0: Well, it's a shame that, uh, we didn't get Hogan must pose and all that jazz. We did our best with old John Stud. I don't know when we'll talk about him again here on the program. Any final words on big John stud as we wind up our rumble episode here.
1: No, I'm, you know, John was w- one of the guys early on in the 70s that was nice enough to talk to me and, and tell me things and um, just let me in a little bit. But he was always very, very kind and and, and the epitome of a gentleman. Um, so, you know, I always liked John. I thought John was, was awesome. John told me that he was going in to quit, you know, before he told Vince. Wow. And, you know, I felt, Ew. so I got the hell out of Dodge. So you could tell Vince all by himself. <laughs> why, why did he quit? Why did he walk away? Cause Andre was stepping on his head every night and yeah. he just didn't want to do that anymore.
0: Do you know what, uh, you know, Jim would often say, Jarrah would often say, go, go learn a new hold. What, what was John's other trade? Was he a truck driver or was he a plumber? Was he a welder? I don't was he know. a banker? Was it's just hard for me I, to imagine, you know. Yeah, don't uh, I'm know. Big John Stood. I'm here for your pest control. What? I mean, There's a giant walking around the house spraying for bugs? It's a respectable profession. Oh no, I'm with it. I'm for it. Some of my best friends he are He could in probably there. reach up in the high places, you know. I'm just saying it's a It's, uh, he's a, he's a large human being to just be wandering through life doing regular gigs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, of course we know it doesn't quite work out for him. Looking back at this show, does this have sentimental value for you being the first rumble on pay-per-view and it being in Houston, or is this one you'd rather just forget?
1: No, it does for both reasons. It, it, It was exciting to be in Houston in my hometown to do a pay-per-view and it was exciting to bring the Royal Rumble. It was now you had WrestleMania, you had Survivor Series. Now you have Rumble. Oh, and, and SummerSlam. So, you know, you had the big four. Is that right. right? Yes. WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor, Rumble. So you had the big four. And that was, that was kind of neat because now we're, we're growing in the pay-per-view space and thinking, Oh my God, are we oversaturating with, four pay-per-views a year is right. that too much
0: right things change yes they do uh what doesn't change is we like to close the show here with a few different questions we uh, we asked no. you guys for questions uh, on twitter if you haven't already throw us a follow at pritchard show on twitter and instagram it's something to wrestle on facebook Of course, you can also like subscribe and turn that notifications bell over on our YouTube at something to wrestle.com. If you'd like to follow Bruce and never see a tweet, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Let's do a few and then we'll put a bow on this one, dude. Uh, Adrian Finn wants to know why did Vince go against his usual Hogan must pose philosophy for this pay-per-view? And do you think it took away from the ending of the rumble?
1: Well, yeah, we already had warrior posing, right? It's enough. You only have one baby face pose. I'll show you the rule book. Well, I don't have it here,
0: but it's on page yeah. 17, last I checked. Yeah. Uh, only one baby face allowed to pose, right? Uh, Mike Mills says, Why was Ron Bass on the box of the home release, but John Stud wasn't? Because of that reaction after the live ground. No clue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, for the life of me, I have no idea, probably because those things back in the day were done so far in advance that, you know, we may not have even had stud back at that point.
0: Mm. Gabriel wants to know Rick Martell returned for the rumble. Was he at this point in time, still scheduled to turn on Tito at WrestleMania five?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Looking to get a, you know, Rick had uh, always been that consummate baby face and looking to get a, uh, he'll run out of Rick.
0: Jeff Stewart says, is there a better line in commentary than when Mr. Perfect gets kicked off of Andre, the giant and gorilla makes fun of him. Jesse immediately says, but he flew perfectly. He did. Exactly. Uh, everything
1: he did was perfect. It's a perfect ass whooping.
0: Mr. Breeze is clearly a long-time listener. He says, "What would it sound like if Jerry Jarrett pitched the rude warrior pose down?"
1: Huh. Well, you know, you get the, you know, when they they do the, well, you know, in the with their, well, you know, their arm and the, well, the muscle, well, you know, and then you get the, you get all, all not, you know, the 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 all the for the. for, for the babies, you know, and then you, not Carl, not Carl, not we're, we're not talking Castro. Uh, who the fuck was that? Um, you know, huh? Uh, here's He's one
0: in the eye with squirt, not like the circle squirt, but you know, with oh, cord. oh, that's a no. callback right there. That's a big callback. You got to be a long time listener to get that one. Hey, here, here's a fun question here that I know you're going to get fired up at because you're Bruce, right? Drew Landry wants to know, winning the Rumble didn't really mean much at this time. So what purpose did I have here outside of entertainment? Now, what Drew's saying differently is uh, there's no stakes. Was there a consideration for maybe we should say this guy gets a title shot or this guy gets uh, a big check or this guy get? because we have had like the $15,000 body slam challenge or what have you. But here it's just, oh yeah, hey, cool, man. He won a match.
1: Well, back in those days, Conrad, winning the goddamn match meant something. So winning a match against thirty other competitors means something. I'm sorry whoever the fuck this is and then Yes, yeah, so I can go through life getting participation trophies. No, back in my day, you earned a trophy. You earned a victory. You didn't just show up and here's your trophy. Oh, hey, let me a participation trophy. No, we don't play that, man. No, you got to earn what you get. All right? I do not believe in participation trophies, and I do believe that winning means you won. You keep score around here. You don't go out and play soccer and all. We don't keep score because we don't want the children to be competitive. Life's a competition, just like the Royal Rumble. Don't you forget that. Give them that example. By God, you win the Royal Rumble by God. You're the Royal Rumble winner. Don't get any bigger than that.
0: Great question here from Gavin. If Haku versus Harley turned into a shoot, how do you break it up? I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. yeah. Send somebody else for sure. Yeah. Somebody with clubs and gear, who would, who would you have in a, uh, a real deal street fight, Haku or Harley?
1: I think they had too much respect for each other to ever even go there. I think there was just too much genuine like and respect to ever go
0: there. It wouldn't happen. Lastly, but certainly not least. Yambag Jones wants to know. Could we see Bruce to his impression of Warrior's post down routine? No. Could could we just hear the noises? I got a bad shoulder. Can we hear the noises?
1: I hate war. I, I tried to do one of Warriors' promos, you know, the fucked up promo where he takes everybody up. Yes. I can't even do it. You can't do that? No. You know what? He you do trying to do him really does hurt my throat. I do shit. I knew everybody else. I do Vince Garving with razor blades. And I just,
0: I don't know why, but you saying I can do everybody, but it hurts my throat. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about the end of Ken Shamrock and the WWF, how the ultimate fighter ends his run in the world wrestling federation between the corporation and the union working with Chris Jericho at the end, why he never returned and a whole lot more. In the meantime, boys and girls, I can't believe this is real. This Sunday marks the 35th anniversary of the most memorable angle in wrestling history, the famous twin referee angle with Earl and his brother Dave Hebner on the inaugural main event where we would see Andre the Giant pin Hulk Hogan and we have found Earl Hebner. He's going to be joining us for a watch along over at adfreeshows.com and it happens this Sunday. So, go check it out at adfreeshows.com. And by the way, if your business is targeting 25 to 54 year old men, there's no better place to advertise than right here on something to wrestle with. If you've heard us do ads for some of the same companies year after year, you're probably wondering why. Well, because it works. With our super targeted audience, there's very little waste. Go to advertisewithbruce.com right now and find out about how to advertise here on something to wrestle with. That's advertise with bruce.com. And before we get out of here, Bruce, I wanna remind everybody that in my real life, I'm helping people keep more of their own money over at savewithconrad.com. If you're looking for a lower monthly payment, if you're looking to get rid of all your credit card debt, if you're looking to skip your next two house payments, maybe you're looking to buy a house, we can help you do all of that right now at savewithconrad.com. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. We're doing loans with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the VA and FHA. And you can buy a house with zero down on a VA loan or a USDA loan and as little as three and a half percent down on an FHA loan. And again, you don't need perfect credit. We're routinely getting credit scores approved as low as 580, but if you got a 620, man, it is smooth sailing. Interest rates go all the way up to 850, so you don't need perfect credit. But if you're nervous about your credit, the first step is to talk to us. You see, at SaveWithConrad.com, we don't say no, but rather, not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a plan together to help you accomplish your financial goals at SaveWithConrad.com. And by the way, if you're not sure, check us out, man. we got an A-plus rating with the BBB. Or go read some of the reviews from folks who save money with us, just like yourself, at ConradReviews.com. Just today, earlier today, I got a five-star review from Nathan in Pennsylvania. He wrote, great communication, always felt like I was a priority, and saving money is our priority for your family. So why not let my family hook you up at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hey, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Bruce, thanks for the time today, man. Today was a lot of fun. I love talking about the Royal Rumble. And hey, man, WrestleMania season is upon us. I hope everybody tunes in to SmackDown tonight. I know we don't talk about current stuff, but we had some cliffhangers at the Royal Rumble, and I, for one, am counting the hours to tonight's show.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: Check it out. SmackDown tonight on Fox, and then tune in next Friday and every Friday right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Rock on! Hey guys, I'm pumped to brag about a brand new sponsor here on the program and is a personal friend of mine for many, many years. I'm talking to you about Camper Max, specializing in max discounted pricing on travel trailers and fifth wheel RVs that can be delivered anywhere in the lower 48. That's right, from your office, your cell phone, or your couch. Click or call and find out how easy it is to start enjoying that RVing lifestyle. Now, how easy is it? Well, the CamperMax discount will fit any budget, offering easy financing with extended terms. It's just too easy thanks to my pal, Rod Wagner. I've been personal friends with Rod for a long, long time, and he is now opening up to the entire lower 48 so if you're here in the united states and you're thinking about buying a travel trailer you're thinking about buying a fifth wheel rv or maybe you're thinking of selling yours visit my buddy rod at campermax.com that's c-a-m-p-e-r-m-a-x-x.com campermax.com that's max with two x's or give him a call 256-320-7033 either way let the folks at campermax know that conrad sent you And they're going to give you that friend of a friend hookup that I've enjoyed for, oh, so many years. Camper Max is the home of the Max Discount. That's CamperMax.com, Camper, M-A-X-X.com. By the way, if you're looking to purchase a motorhome, hang in there. My buddy Rod is working on that now. It's all going down at CamperMax.com. Let's get out there. Let's enjoy 2023. This could be one heck of a new year. Thanks to CamperMax.com. Or 256 320 7033 and let them know that Conrad sent you. Yeah. Can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept, is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio. Jacksonville as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon as a virtual restaurant. Woo wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major Metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant. You want woo wings in your town and to visit RickflareWings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber eats or Postmates app. And look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out RickflareWings.com to become a partner.